DanielBritt.com. We're going to get to know today just a little bit better the man behind the guitar, the man behind the studio, Kevin Williams. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Your history uh, is much more than than we know as guitarist for Gaither Homecoming or a producer or an engineer in a studio. More than I know. <laughs> well, you've, got, you've got to shed some light on it, so do the best you can. I grew up in this town. I was born in this town in Louisville, uh, Kentucky. Really? Grew up in Kentucky, and uh, the Hemp Hills, uh, you mentioned Joel and Labriska Hemp Hill a minute ago. Mm-hmm. They were so instrumental in helping me and in encouraging me when I was playing guitar with local groups and that kind of thing uh, growing up. We would uh, occasionally open up for them. Boy, that was a big highlight. We'd brag yeah. about that for two or three months, you know. And um, Joel would, would take us on the bus and just uh, talk to us and, and uh, pray for us and encourage us. And just always, you know, mm-hmm. a great uh, influence on, on a young man. And there have been a lot of those people, George Yance, uh, a lot of those great people in my life that, that fostered that. Moved to Nashville uh, when I was playing with uh, Wendy Bagwell back in the 80s. I uh, played for Wendy and the Sunlighters for five years. How'd they find you, or how'd you find them? Uh, well, prior to that, I'd been with uh, the Blackwood Singers and, and uh, um, was uh, actually... Blackwood is, is James Blackwood? This, yeah, this was Ron Blackwood's uh, okay. quartet there for about a year. He's over in Gatlinburg now, I think, and that was a good experience for me, and, and uh, I think one of the big lessons is I learned to drive a bus, because <laughs> Wendy was looking for a, a guitar player that played several different instruments, which I did, and then, uh, you know, it's one of those old things about how does the suit fit, uh, you had to drive yeah, a bus, yeah. and uh, that got me five years in that uh, in that situation, and I loved it. That was uh, five of the most wonderful years of my life, and... Uh, then, so when Bill Gaither and Anthony Berger were talking on the on the Anthony Berger DVD about uh, being available, <laughs> yeah, being, yeah, being available, there's not a lot just of, to play guitar, but being available to drive a bus. There's or, a lot of truth in that. <laughs> yeah, my job in that situation was to get us to Hardy's at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> And, was that a uh, favorite of Wendy's? Oh, absolutely. With the cinnamon raisin biscuits or what? I know. He had a sausage biscuit uh, in the mornings. Yeah. And uh, that was just a great time. And he'd, he'd get up, and we, he was always in a great mood. I mean, I never saw him in a bad mood. And there again, a great influence on a young man's life. And God has always uh, sent those kind of people into uh, my life. Uh, Bill Gaither is another one of those people, you know. So after five years with Wendy, I wanted to get more into session playing uh, in Nashville, where you play on the CDs and, and uh, eventually producing, which is what I wanted to do. So um, uh, I was trying to cut back on the schedule. Uh, Wendy did about 60 dates a year. And at the time, the vocal band was doing about 30 dates a year. And they were scaling back. as in 92. And... Um, so I said, well, let's, you know, this would be good. And, and I played on a couple of records for Bill and had met him, and he was so kind. And, uh, so I started traveling with those guys, and uh, the videos took off. Uh, they had just cut uh, Turn Your Radio On. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so then um, I got to, to be able to play on a lot of those videos uh, starting about that time. And, and uh, 
13 years, 14 years later, here we are. It's so you were playing for the Sunlighters and doing session work, and that's how you met Bill was through session work? I was. I, I, that's what I really wanted to do, and it's why I moved to Nashville instead of Atlanta, where Wendy was from. Uh, so I commuted back and forth to Atlanta for five years from Nashville because, uh, you know, that's where I, I made a living through the week playing on people's records and was so trying to get that started. You weren't interested in so-so deaf records or anything in Atlanta? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I, I had one thing in mind and, and uh, just committed it to the Lord and, and plowed, mm-hmm. and uh, and God blessed it. and. So uh, that transition was really smooth and wonderful. I got to produce the last record that Wendy and the Sunlighters ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to produce a record for Jan Buckner after that when she uh, did a solo project that was um, wonderful. And uh, Was that Revival? Yeah, was that the name of it? I can't even remember the name With of it. The black. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good one. She's great. Uh, she had taken some... Uh, Songs that she had done with the Sunlighters, and then she put some original stuff with it, too. So. And there was one she recorded that actually had the old, I guess you took the old master of Wendy's voice. I firmly promise you. Yeah, yeah that, we did that. that. Was, when she did that live in concert, it really, I don't want to say eerie, but it really had this unique feeling when you heard that voice coming through the loudspeaker um, after he had passed away, obviously. Well, we, uh, we, we manipulated that a little bit. I had his voice on a multi-track recording that I had done, uh, I, th- if I'm not mistaken, I did that in his church, in his mm-hmm. home church in Hiram there, and uh, so we were talking about this idea of could could we do this song and then bring him in like he used to do the recitation part, and I went home to see how clean those multi tracks were, and we did some digging, and uh, so after some creativity, that's yeah. what it came out, and and that was it was very powerful. Yeah. Uh, it was every night when she sang and and delivered that powerful testimony too. So. Let's talk about Wendy Bagwell for a moment as a person. Um, he was uh, he was much more than a singer, much more than a manager. He was awesome. <laughs> he was a guy you needed to know. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, he was exactly what you saw on stage. Uh, always fun loving and up mm-hmm. and and just an encourager. Is that how he got the stories? <laughs> you know what he uh, he was quite a salesman. Too. He a lot of people don't know this. He had a very uh, successful furniture business yeah. in uh, yeah. Georgia. There, still there, uh, still there. His daughter Wendy uh, runs furniture. runs that place. They had very unique items and that kind of thing. He gave me my first living room suit. You know, wow. uh, just just an incredible person. Part of, part of the salary package. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I had to work that <laughs> off. No. So um, he was a big influence on me, and and in his storytelling that evolved, I think, from his salesmanship. Uh, he started uh, selling glow-in-the-dark uh, uh, numbers, that, like you put on the front of your house, you know, like oh, oh, yeah. your street number, yeah, uh, for like a dollar or something in whatever year. And and he told these stories about selling these uh, new innovative glow-in-the-dark. So he always had a line to to lay on you, and those stories evolved out of that. And uh, and of course, there are adventures all over the world. Uh, uh, that snake story, you know, yeah. in Kentucky, and yeah. all of that. Was the uh, were you there for that? Oh no! Concert? I heard that uh, every yeah. uh, every night for you five like years. You were there. <laughs> <laughs> you felt like you were there. But uh, that was quite a few years before me. Salesman, uh, Wendy Bagwell, and then wasn't there a was it a headache powder or medicine? Yeah, they endorsed uh, a headache powder uh, probably in the mid seventies, I yeah. guess, and and uh, that put them on national TV. Uh, on all those commercials, and uh, I still remember that. It was, it was really great. You say that put the, put him on national TV, did it put the group on? It did. They were they were on there as well, yeah. yeah I, I remember 
uh, see, they would sing a little line. They they sang their own jingle okay. for it. You know what I actually have tape of? They sat down one day when we had microphones going and sang some jingles that they used to sing when they had an early morning radio show mm-hmm. in Georgia. I can't tell you the year. Uh, and, and I said, well, who were some of your sponsors? And so they started naming them, and as soon as Jan would say one, they'd start singing the jingle. <laughs> and I've got three or four of these things on tape at home, and it's wow. fabulous, you know. Uh, they they really uh, they covered a lot of ground in their uh, span, you know, of time. And Lindy was very professional too. He was always uh, he was always on time. Uh-huh. He he always came off. You know, if you gave him forty five minutes, he came off uh, forty five minutes. Um, he uh, he was just very professional and and uh, nothing but good stuff to say about him. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact with my hand up. Is that fra- was that phrase <laughs> from the from the medicine commercial? He, he just always said that. That became a little trademark for him. So that if he were selling you a piece of furniture, he'd say, now this, this was handmade in Indonesia. Now that's a fact with my hand up. <laughs> he, he would uh, incorporate that into whatever he and did. And that's become a household phrase. Yeah. It really yeah. has. The the uh, big phrase in the snake story was, reckon where do they want one? You yeah. know, that yeah. was the back door. Uh, yeah, thing. yeah. Tell me about Jerry Morrison. and She's just recently passed away. Mm. She was such a dear person. Um, there again, what you see is what you get. She she was kind of like your grandma, you yeah. know. She just uh, would mother you, and uh, just just very loving. Uh, she sang lead in the early years for the trio, and then uh, sang so hard. He nicknamed her Leather Lungs. Yeah. You know? yeah. So she sang so hard, she kind of sang herself down to alto. And Jan, of course, has a beautiful lead voice. And Jan began to sing lead, sing lead um, on those songs. And, and uh, I think Geraldine's voice uh, was even prettier as an alto. She had a great blending quality and mm-hmm. just uh, a wonderful style. She was a great person. Sure. Do you know what years, what, what starting and ending year the Sunliners traveled? Oh, I wish I could tell you. He he died in the uh, mid nineties. Ninety six, I think. Ninety six, uh, and I can't tell you what year. Uh, the thing that put him on the map was that uh, Carnegie Hall concert mm-hmm. uh, that they did, and they did a whole overseas tour for the State Department, mm-hmm. uh, and that was in the sixties, I guess. I I wish I were a better historian. That's okay. <laughs> well, back to the fact with my hand up. Why do you think Wendy was so trustworthy? Why do people like him so much and really? You couldn't him? help it. You just couldn't just help genuine. it. He was he he had a charisma. Um, his, his daughters tell you the same thing, and they are very much like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you either have that or you don't. He was very believable. Uh, there's a great story. Rex Nealon used to love picking on Wendy. Yeah. So uh, Rex called the uh, furniture store one morning. And he uh, lived near there. He lived near there, yeah. and he pretended to be, and I don't know the, the name of the guy, but he was a professional ball player from Atlanta, mm-hmm. and who, he was very popular at the time. And so Rex pretended to be this guy, and he said, I've, I've ordered a recliner from your store. It was supposed to be here today, and uh, and I'm, I'm pretty upset it's not here. Not, you told me it'd be here today. And Wendy said, just a minute, I'll check on it. When he came back to the phone, he said, Buddy, and of course Rex had ordered no rocker, you know, yeah, or no yeah. no recliner. And uh, Wendy said, "Buddy, it's on the truck and it's on its way." Listen, what color was that again? And so Wendy was always laying that line yeah, on you, but you just yeah, couldn't help but yeah. love him, you know. Tell me what year it was that you 
told us that you were doing session work, you were still traveling with the Sunlighters, you met started working with Bill some. What year was it that you you became a Gaither? <laughs> what what year did you actually uh, get the road? Toward the end of 1992. Um, uh, that had wrapped up about five years with Wendy there. And uh, um, I told Wendy my whole reasoning. You know, I said I, I, I want to establish some sort of uh, recording Mm-hmm. career uh and and uh, try to stay at the house a little more so uh w- you know, he totally understood that and i had uh played on about three records for the statesman at the time uh bill had reorganized the statesman with uh jake and hovey mm-hmm. so um he had produced these records and uh they had released goodbye world goodbye that anthony berger did this flash of a, an intro on i mean it was 160 beats a minute yeah, you know yeah. so and a lot of groups have used that same track they have yeah yeah even our homecoming uh, people yeah. did, did that same track so um i i had done three records for him and had met him on several occasions and he'd just been golden to me um so the guy that was playing for them uh at the time was Bill's son-in-law, Barry Jennings. And Barry was coming off the road. He and his wife were having children, and so that, you know that's, that's always a big factor of staying at home. Yeah. And Barry was going to manage the vocal band and manage um, Bill's company for him. Uh, Barry's a, a business head, you know, really and good and guy. He is currently the CEO. He is the, the CEO company. of Springhouse and, um, and has made uh, a lot of very big decisions uh, that have paid off for them. Um, so a friend of mine called me and said, hey, uh, they're looking for somebody. You'd be perfect for this. You want to do it? And I said, yeah. And within about 30 minutes, um, they said, you're going out this weekend to Port Huron and somewhere else, Grand Rapids, I think, yeah. to do a couple concerts. And uh, so part my, my duties were to play bass and guitar and to run some soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, whenever Bill went to the piano to play, my job was to play bass with him mm-hmm. and then play guitar with the soundtracks. So um seemed easy enough, and I got out there, and I was scared to death. And I think I stopped The King is Coming in the middle of that one uh, <laughs> in Chicago about my first or second weekend out. And uh, there are some memorable stage fright times there. But uh, I had never played in front of crowds that big, you know. And um, the Gaither name always pulled in uh, huge crowds, and of course those songs. And we were doing the Gaither Vocal Band, the Gaither Trio, and maybe a couple of guests like the Cathedrals or Buddy Green or Janet Pascal, yeah. somebody like that. And you were, you were working with tracks, and I've seen you. And yeah. uh, those tracks, at least in the beginning, were they the mini discs, right? Uh, in the beginning, they were Dats. Oh, so you had to fast-forward just like a Yeah, I had two DAT players. Mm-hmm. Now, for for anybody listening who doesn't know what a DAT is, that stands for Digital Audio Tapes, an acronym. And uh, it's pretty much a dinosaur now. We, we don't use that. But uh, everybody uses hard drives and things to, to store information on. Back then, uh, there was a tiny, smaller-than-a-cassette tape um, uh, form of, of recording. And it was digital. And uh, it worked out very well, except you couldn't get from cut one to cut 15 very fast. It would yeah. go... Yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah, speed yeah, through there, yeah. you know. So I had two DAT players with identical tracks in both of them, and uh, and I would go from this machine to that machine. And, and using a counter? or, or Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was crude. Well, then so. Minidisc came along, and did you eventually use Minidisc? We, we, we went to CDs from DATs. Okay. And uh, the CDs were great. They just skipped all dial. the time. Oh, 
I see. Uh, if you got on a shaky floor and it was the wrong kind of player, they would skip. Mm-hmm. And so lots of problems there. We went to mini discs after that. Uh, we went from mini discs to computer hard drives, mm-hmm. uh, a 360 systems yeah. broadcast type machine. Yeah. And then uh, now I think we're in iTunes or something. So it's, yeah. it has moved, you know. <laughs> have you found that each new technology has been more reliable than the past, the previous one? Yeah, and you have to, you have to progress. Um, now, I don't do those tracks anymore. Uh, in fact, I, I don't do a lot of those live dates now. I'm still doing all the TV stuff that I did with Bill. But uh, my girls are five and seven, so I'm trying to stay at the house a little more and yeah. still uh, do some producing and that kind of thing. So the guy that runs that stuff is Rory Rigdon, and I think he's got everything in a computer outfit now. And mm-hmm. and God bless him. I pray for him every night, and, and I'm glad he's got it. <laughs> and a lot of times Bill will do impromptu stuff. And so- a lot of times? <laughs> what do you mean? We never had a set list in 13 years. We never had a well, set list. Well, the story list. I've got about backstage, yeah, you know, I would see the list, and he sometimes handwritten, sometimes typed. But typed. it was an artist list. It was an artist list. Right. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, but there was this one time. Had the of the artist lineup of who was to follow who, but then over it all was a big sharpie black X and two words: be ready. Be ready. Stay close was usually yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know when when I went there there was no set list, and he would just tell everybody stay close. Now we only had a couple other artists on in addition to the vocal band, yeah. you know, and I knew what the vocal band would open up with. Um, usually it would be Temporary Home or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew the first song. And after that, I, I didn't have a clue. And uh, Bill would call the song on the heels of the previous song. He'd look around and say, bow to my knees or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, Bill is not the clearest speaking person. <laughs> and, and Gaither, if you're listening, you know that's right. <laughs> so... Um, he, it's hard to read his lips, you know, and yeah. that became sort of an art form. And, and uh, if you've been in our concerts and you see me shaking my head like, what? It's because I couldn't understand his, yeah. you know, his yeah. phrasing. And he'd look at me and go, ah, yeah. and, and that's about what it would be. You know? <laughs> so uh, that became fun and, and uh, trying to interpret him. A lot of people may not realize all that goes on in a production like that. And I, and I think one of the big key f- uh, factors that sets a Gaither production or a concert above all the rest is the uh, timing, you know, to, to keep everything on. It rolls. It really does. And uh, as the as the track master, the track keeper, did you ever start a track too soon and he wasn't finished talking? Oh, in lots the of intro times. And, <laughs> or the other way around where he was finished and waiting for you to, you know, hit the, hit the button, hit the button, will you? He, he would cue me on when to hit. So uh, I, I never started without seeing him so point to me. So it was his fault me. if he ever absolutely. <laughs> the the um, the controversy would occur when um, I fired something that he didn't call, mm-hmm. and I misunderstood him. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, it it would be a situation of, uh, okay, for instance, uh, songs with dual uh, or, or or songs by the same name. Yeah. Uh, let me think. Uh, wait till you see me in my brand new home. Wait yeah. till you see me. That that old yeah. song. Or uh, wait till you see. But wait till you see the yeah. Jesse Dixon thing. Yeah. My brand new home. Okay. Yeah. Two songs with similar titles. <laughs> what about the love of God? There's a Vep Ellis, the yeah. love of God. There is a uh, the old hymn, the love of God. Who yeah. who wrote that? Well, the, the the story is the guy in the Insomnia Award, right? That wrote that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's the other one. Yeah. So he'd say the love of God, and I and I got to figure out which one it is. You know? Yeah. 
Satisfied. Uh, there was a vocal band tune called Satisfied, and then they recorded an old hymn, Hallelujah, I Have Found Him, that yeah. is subtitled Satisfied. Yeah. So I'd, I'd fire the wrong one often. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'd go, no, 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 no. And he would not sing what you played just to be professional. He yeah. wanted to sing what he wanted to sing. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. But you know what? And you got to love that about him. <laughs> he, he, he makes you, he, he is a teacher at heart, and he makes you rise to a new level. And, and yeah. he, uh, they're, again, an encourager that God put in my life, you know. And you already mentioned that you are no longer, no longer doing consistently those dates that's right i uh for about a year now um i've been focusing on my production business uh in nashville we have a a studio that's been there for uh, about 13 years upfront studios and we've recorded a lot of the uh, hit records of uh, all the southern gospel artists Uh, a little bit of country music as well but mostly uh mostly christian music Mm -hmm. and then uh, i have a production business kevin williams productions that uh, uh, I've produced, uh, did a record on Russ Taff and Linda Randall with the uh, Homecoming uh, bunch and a bunch of other developmental artists. And so it really tried to make that go and primarily raise my five-year-old and my seven-year-old. We have two girls. Yeah. Uh, Kathy is my wife, and our girls are Carolina and Olivia. And, uh, and just be there on the weekends because they're in school through the week. And so it was a big decision to pull out of those live dates, you know. Um, that homecoming family is, uh, is my roots. You know, that, yeah. those people are my brothers and sisters. I'm an only child, and so I, I, I don't know what the sibling thing is all about. And then when I get out there with those people, uh, I, I think I do know what it's all about. Sure. So um, I, I miss them tremendously. But Bill has been great to me. I still do the TV stuff, and I, I still talk to him about every week. And, uh, but I, I do miss that family, you know. Uh, I was talking to Mike Hopper, and uh, actually Claude brought it up, said that Mike as a kid was very persistent and went to the Los Angeles Union phone book right. and, and found, uh, uh, was it Ronnie Tut, the drummer for Elvis, and called him at home and talked about an hour to him, didn't know him from Adam, didn't know Mike from Adam. Sure. Who influenced you and, um, and uh, on the guitar specifically? Well, there there is a list a mile long. Um, you, you know, Mike and I have that in common with uh, Elvis's band, and we we talked about all this old Elvis uh, yeah. stuff. James Burton was uh, was the lead guitarist for Elvis in the seventies, mm-hmm. and and so I remember copping his licks, you know, and learning all this uh, chicken picking stuff. Before that, Scotty Moore was Elvis's guitar player, and so he he had a really unique style. Um, you know, Chet Atkins uh, w- was an icon in fingerstyle sure. guitar, thumb style. And uh, I remember scoping his stuff, got to meet Chet on a couple of occasions. I own one of his guitars that he wow. uh, that he owned, and, and uh, that's a privilege. Steve Warner is a, a country music artist that is a great um, guitar player, and uh, I've known Steve for about 25 years. He... Um, I really tried to emulate a lot of the things that he did because uh, simply because I knew him and, and was available to see his style played out for me. He's an incredible artist. And um, Vince Gill and a lot of those guys, there were session players that I listened to that nobody would know their names maybe, but they're on all the hit records. Uh, Brent Rowan, who was on every country music hit in the 1980s, who also 
played for uh, gospel groups as he was uh, growing up. And uh, I even think he was with the Rambos at one time. But uh, Brent's a friend of mine, and uh, I was copping his licks. Reggie Young is another uh, guitar player. Fred Newell uh, was a guy. So uh, there were a lot of those guys. And, and on acoustic guitar, you know, I remember when I was about five years old watching Hee Haw. Yeah. And I would see uh, Buck Owens and Roy Clark and, and some of those guys. Glenn Campbell had a TV show out at that time. So those people were um, uh, some people, some early influences that came by way of TV um, because we lived in a very rural area and didn't get to hear a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of radio, a lot of the songs. Well, I, that TV influence is so important, and, and I'm so thankful that God allowed me an opportunity to be in the homecoming videos to work with Bill in these uh, uh, TV productions because that's a, a small part of today's community that I'm able to get in there and, and try to influence at least uh, musically and, uh, and technically. And I take that very seriously. Um, at the end of every homecoming concert, there'd be a guy that would come up and, and uh, be very complimentary and would say, hey, that I know that guitar. That's a, And he would name the, the yeah, model, yeah, you know. Yeah. And we would talk a little bit. And uh, so there's a guy like that in every town. Sure. And, and it's very gratifying to hear that. But but I also try to uh, help him, you know, learn about guitars and about the different kinds of woods that make tones. And, you know, all those things that I wanted as a kid, wanted somebody to kind of step out of the TV and be able to tell me that. You know, Tell me about, because as a musician, as, as one of the core uh, house band members of the vocal of the Gaither tour, tell me about Anthony Berger. Oh, wow. He's like a brother. He was really like a brother. Um, we had this joke. When, when I started with Bill, uh, it, it was Bill playing piano and me. And we used a keyboard player on most of the dates. Uh, J.D. Miller did some dates. Michael Sykes did some dates. And so that kind of revolved. After about a year and a half there, probably, uh, Anthony came into that picture. And he had uh, left the Kingsman and, and was doing his solo dates and, and then also uh, going to work these in as well. And, uh, you know, what a talent. And I, I had known him for probably 10 years prior to that, too. So it was just a perfect fit. It got to be where we, we just never said a word to each other on stage. There was a lot of eye contact. Mm -hmm. And I just knew where he was going. He knew where I was going. He would... The biggest compliment would be, um, at, you know, if I were playing bass on something, he would take his left hand off the piano and I would just do the bass part. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he would play the right hand piano part, which was yeah. our way of, you know, just kind of doing it. Yeah. And um, so there's a lot of unspoken stuff. I miss him. Uh, he uh, he contributed to our industry and changed our industry and raised the bar so much. Um, I, I just truly miss him. I will tell you this. I went to the uh, annual meeting of the Chet Atkins Appreciation Society back yeah. in July. This is a society of, uh, it's a pretty elite thing, of fingerstyle guitar players from all over the world. Um, they meet in Nashville every year. They've done this for, I don't know how many years, 20 years, I bet. Um, and uh, four or 5,000 uh, guitar players from Sweden and Denmark and Germany and Canada and the, the United States and Australia, uh, they all convene there. Mm -hmm. When I went in, and, and that's like a family to me, too. I mean, sure. they, they appreciate me so much and are just wonderful to me. Um, 
when I walked in this year, I bet I had 30 people saying, gosh, that was awful about Anthony. Wow. We miss Anthony. And um, so, so you've got to understand Anthony's influence on that crowd. That's not predominantly a gospel crowd at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, if it is anything, it is a jazz crowd. But it is not necessarily that either. I mean, there's there's uh, old thumb style uh, front porch pickers from Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, yeah. and then uh, progressive jazz players from Australia there. So it's it's uh-huh. a it's a mix, and they all appreciated Anthony's work and knew that, and and uh, that blessed me so much, you mm-hmm. know, that um, that he he filtered out into these people and blessed their lives, and and uh, I I don't know if he ever understood that, if he knew he was making that kind of impact, but he was. What do you think of the new guy, Gordon Moat? Well, Gordon, I have known from session playing for years, and he is wonderful. Um, he, Do you recommend him? Oh, well, uh, me and about 100 other people probably. <laughs> um, you know what? There, there are so many people uh, that could have easily slid into that and done a great job. However, Gordon's unique thing, he, he is um, from Georgia mm-hmm. and uh, is a blind pianist and singer. And uh, he doesn't probably have this classical side to him that Anthony brought to to that. Gordon's thing is very different. Gordon has a heart and soul uh, thing that is just wonderful. He, uh, I, I truly believe, he sees what we don't see. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the the heart that he brings to it is is just amazing. Uh, he's an incredible vocalist too. He has a solo record out. Yeah. And, yeah. So uh, I, I, I think they got a perfect fit with Gordon. I hate to say this. I had my uh, – when I was thinking in my mind, my, the list, and Whitmire, Parton, uh, yeah. all the pianists that right. I – and Gordon Moat was on the list. Right. And I knew he was doing some great things, and uh, I knew a little bit of his history and session work. But I thought, well, as great as he is – I, 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 how's he gonna How's he gonna swing it? Being blind in right. in such an impromptu setting like a Gaither Homecoming concert, how's he gonna look across the stage to the track person and know, you know, or know what key to to go? With? You, you know what? Uh, how's he done that? Well, he. he uh all right, Bill is notorious for impromptu singing to get the crowd singing with him. And if he feels a chorus coming on, he just sings it. I mean, he you know uh, he's not gonna bow to professionalism at that point. Uh, he's very led by uh, by the spirit and, and the tone of things going on. So he, Bill would be up there leading, and, and he does a lot of these hand gestures, you know, to, yeah. to kind of dictate the tempo and that kind of thing. And and Gordon being blind, you know, that's one issue. How are you going to do that? And uh, when I talked to Gordon about that, he just said, I, I hear his phrasing. I can hear him breathe. He said, if I can hear Bill, I, I can, you know, I can see him. And, uh, and he does amazingly well. You, you know, um, for whatever he would lack in one area, uh, and, and it's probably a minor thing, he so makes up for it in other areas. And uh, uh, let me tell you this. We, we were on a session break one day, uh, Gordon and I and about three other uh, session players, and we were going to lunch. And uh, we're in my – I have an Isuzu Trooper, you know, so mm-hmm. I was driving the guys. And Gordon is sitting in the passenger seat, and uh, we pull up to a stoplight, and Gordon just reaches over and honks my horn – and and there's people crossing at the crosswalk, and they're looking at me like I'm an idiot. And Gordon pulls that blind Stevie Wonder deal, you know, like he, he's blind, and it's got to be me that's honking the horn. He's just laughing yeah, wow. his head off over there. He's a real practical joker. Good guy. Speaking of, of jokes, um, were you the natural choice to take Mark Lowry's position? You, you know what? That's a thing that evolved from the studio stuff that we would do. Um, 
in the studio, we Bill and I would heckle each other, and I he, he'd do a low note, and I'd say, "Is that all you got?" You know, and and uh, he'd say, "Could we stop and let Kevin tune?" You know, and so that was just a bantering thing that went yeah. back and forth. And even when Mark was there, I did that all the time, uh, just so Bill could hear me. You mm-hmm. know, it was like just a friendly thing. So when Mark left, they just put a mic over there, and that's about all that changed, and it uh, it kind of evolved into what it what it has been. <laughs> well, it, it was great, and uh, and and your whatever you call it, the chemistry you had with Bill, the timing was was right on, even after Mark left. It was Bill cool. has a great sense of, of comedic timing. He uh, he has a really good feel for that. You know, all I ever did was was point out the obvious. If he stumbled on a word, or if he, uh, you know, if he, if his hair was standing up or whatever, I mean, I, I just pointed out the obvious, and everybody got a chuckle out of it. Uh, tell me about your current work right now with the studio, and how can we find you there? Do you have a website? I have a website, and they are supposed to be putting that up today. So I, I'm sure that's not going to happen today, but uh, <laughs> but it's KevinWilliamsProductions.com. I've produced records for years, and. Um, we, we never had any uh, serious we, – we never had a website. We never had uh, anything, really. Mm-hmm. So this year I've, I've focused on that, um, uh, gave you one of the music samplers there, and uh, if you get a hold of us, we'll send you one out. It's just uh, some of the stuff that I've produced. But I've um, uh, been privileged to work with a lot of great folks in the studio and, uh, and put out some wonderful music. So uh, KevinWilliamsProductions.com. The name of the studio is UpfrontStudios.com. If you uh, go to that website and email them, it'll get to me. Mm-hmm. That's fine, too. Um, and we're in Nashville there, and um, uh, you can check us out. We'd be glad to uh, give you some information or do whatever we can. We do a lot of custom recording for new artists and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and then... Uh, just been privileged to work with a lot of the folks here at the uh, quartet convention as well. Well, the fans of, uh, who are very sad to see you go off the stage from mm-hmm. the Gaithers can always look for your name in the liner notes of these production uh, oh. uh, production CDs that come their way. I, I've been uh, glad to be a part of those vocal band projects for so long, too, and uh, that's some of the best music I, I guess I could have contributed to. You know, the talking about Anthony, uh, he and I... <laughs> We're so blessed to be a part of a catalog of songs okay. and, and and musical tracks that will last for so long. Um, basically, an anthology of gospel music history, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for 13 years for myself um, through those videos. We cut hundreds of songs for those things. We would pre-record a lot of the music, and then and then a lot of that was impromptu as as well and mixed in. So, um, and we've done all those tracks at, at our studio there in Nashville for years. Oh. But um, what, a, what a great thing to be a part of. And so uh, we're just trying to take it to the next level now and, and uh, uh, do some things individually for artists and groups. Well, excellence is number one when it comes to Kevin Williams. So, uh, so keep your eye on him. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Kevin. Let's well, do it thank soon. you so much. Thanks. Hi, this is Kevin Williams, and you're listening to Daniel Britt. <laughs> 